I knew someone would be waiting for me. Though I hadn't received a group email from the tour director in a few weeks, I believed that provisions would be made for getting everyone together and onto the tour bus at the airport in Manchester, England. That belief began to fade as I dragged my suitcase back and forth between Terminals 2 and 3, talking with various agents, getting a clue here and there, calling my husband in the States for support, sitting down to eat and think and pray for guidance, eventually knowing that I was missing Chester Cathedral, where our Dave and Madge Morse were married after World War II. To say I was frustrated would be an understatement. The words surprised, fearful, angry, and isolated would be more descriptive of my emotional state that day in June. Ironically, the afternoon prior, when I was waiting to board my flight at the Roanoke Airport, I had written this in my journal. Marianne Ebert called while I was waiting to wish me Godspeed and bon voyage. I told her I was nervous, as my underarms confessed, and excited. It's nice to be going on an adventure. I haven't been adventurous in a long time. Well, as you can guess, this was not the kind of adventure I had in mind. It appears the Hebrew people felt the same way. When we left home in Egypt, this is not the kind of adventure we had in mind. Though they they had escaped from years of slave labor in Egypt, they were now freed, but to what? Moses, they might have cried. What were you thinking? Did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die of thirst? Listen to the children crying, Moses. Do you know what it does to a parent to hear my baby cry and not be able to satisfy it? We are thirsty. Our cattle are thirsty. What happened to the God that was supposedly leading us? Have you ever felt stuck in a waterless wilderness? I suspect that we have all thirsted for something that was beyond our reach. For example, that yearning is a big part of grief, thirsting for what we had in the past that we cannot have again. Or we may thirst for something we've never had, and I don't mean like a 60-foot yacht. We might drool over that. But we thirst for things more basic, like for an acceptance of who we are with all our foibles and weaknesses. Or we thirst for an intimate relationship. Or if we're in a relationship, we might thirst for a deeper relationship. We might thirst for answers when all we have are questions. The wilderness is dry. It's barren. It's unpleasant. We feel vulnerable and insecure, and little else matters besides finding something to quench these longings. We've been taught about a God, a loving God, who supplies our needs. 
And yet, in these times of wilderness, we wonder, where is God in our hour of need? Like the Hebrews, we ask bluntly, is God among us or not? Hundreds of years after the Exodus, in the middle of the first century, the Apostle Paul was in prison. The fact that he was a Roman citizen did not keep the imperial forces from feeling threatened by this man who believed not in Caesar as a savior, but in a man called Jesus Christ. In prison, Paul might have felt stuck in the wilderness, unable to visit his friends in the churches he had helped to birth. But he did what he could. He wrote letters of encouragement for the Philippians to help them get unstuck from whatever conflict was erupting among the congregation. He brought before them the journey of Jesus Christ. This is the big picture of Jesus' journey in three stages. Just a brief Bible study. These, uh, the passages of the hymn are at the top of your bulletin on the inside if you'd like to follow along. But it begins with verse 6. And probably in your Bible too, these verses are set apart as poetry because they're the hymn. Much of our theology is passed along through hymns, if you hadn't noticed that. This One in Philippians 2 happens to be one of my favorites. Stage 1 is called the pre-existence of Christ. Pre-existence, before he was born. Look at verse 6. Before life on earth, Jesus, no, Christ started out in the form of God. And much later in John 1... It's echoed, the same thought is echoed again several, several decades afterwards. In the beginning, the very beginning, was the Word, understood as the Christ. And the Word was with God in the beginning. And the Word was God. That's stage one. Stage two begins with verse seven. Christ emptied himself released his place of glory and came to earth in human form the same way we did, as a baby. And this is when we start using the name Jesus, which means, not ironically, he saves. The second stage of Christ's journey is life as we know it, the roller coaster of pains and joys. Christ came to earth in the form of Jesus to identify with us, to suffer with us, to be humiliated with us, and through all these to connect us to God, our creator and provider. Obedience to Jesus, obedience to God was painful to Jesus, and yet he didn't balk. He followed through to the end. Now, each stage leads, leads to the next. Jesus' humility and obedience led to the third stage, which was exaltation. And this is the one that we're told Jesus didn't do by himself. God did this one. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. We find hope in this exalted Christ. I think now and then we feel a shadow of it on earth. We sense that shadow. And yet something better is coming after our own stages in the wilderness. Now that's Jesus' life divided into a journey or stages of a journey. But ours, we can do the same thing. Think about your own. If you've moved around a lot, you might judge your journey by where you lived when. Some people would judge their journeys relationally, like when I lived with my parents or when I was with my first wife or when I was dating, (coughs) what's his name? Uh I see those experiences are there. We have our journeys too. I'm most interested in our spiritual journeys. That's what we talk about at church. And any person of faith, of a healthy faith, has been in the wilderness and has asked some of these hard questions and thirsted for God's presence and provision. Questions and doubts are important to help us move from one stage of the journey to the next. And, of course, there are those times that we backslide. It's like losing our footing on a muddy hill. We reach out for something to save us. Maybe it's the self-help book branch. Or maybe it's the antidepressant branch. Or maybe it's the 12-step branch. Now, these are good, and these will slow our falls, but only if they lead us to humility and obedience to God will they be the brakes that we need to stop our fall. Humility and obedience, that of Christ, will set us back on solid ground Humility and obedience to God will lead us to unity of spirit, mind, and relationship. When Jesus sacrificed self-interest and gave himself to faith and humble obedience, God provided for Jesus like water from a rock in the wilderness. When we sacrifice our self-interest and give ourselves to faith and humble obedience, God provides for us as well. Jack Van Ens tells the story of starting as a new pastor. He thought it would be a neat idea for a children's sermon to talk to bring in a couple of turtles. Um, and so... With some help, he got to during the week, and he brought them in to worship on his second Sunday at his new church. He was properly dressed in his robe, his Geneva robe from Princeton with the red piping. And then he called up the children for the children's message. And here's how he tells it. As I held up one turtle, I tapped on its shell. He ducked into it, obviously not going anywhere. And so, he said to the children, that's like a person acting as if Jesus weren't walking beside him. 
The turtle, meanwhile, got a bad case of nerves and in front of the whole congregation urinated all over my new robe. The congregation howled. I acted as though I were not drenched and quickly returned the turtle to his box, commenting that strange faces do funny things to shy turtles. Picked up the second turtle, started again. He tapped on the shell. This time he held it far away from his robe. The turtle ducked inside and, as he says, held its composure. And he asked at that time, what, time, what happens to a turtle that refuses to stick out its neck? One of the kids shot up his hand and said, It goes tinkle, tinkle. <laughs> that brought the house down again. He said, I thought my ministry had been destroyed in its second week, but the nervous turtle made people see that their new preacher was all too human, and they accepted me, stains and all, though they did tend to shy away from my new robe. That was a stage on this young pastor's journey. We think of stages in our lives. And thinking back to Exodus, as I was thinking about that passage this week, at first I disagreed with Moses and what he named the places where they were. He, he called the place Massah for test, that means test, and Meribah, which means quarrel or argue. I wondered why he didn't name it something like provision or fulfillment or presence. And yet I thought later that we need to remember the ideas of difficulties. We need to remember those challenges and those trials because that's what carries us to the next stage of the journey. These wilderness experiences give us a foothold on our way to growth and unity and intimacy. Now, given that every single one of us in here is at a different stage of our journeys, what would you name yours right now? Are you in the wilderness? Are you on the mountaintop? Are you on a muddy hillside, reaching out for a branch? Think about where you are. After about four hours at the Manchester airport, the clues added up to a contact with my tour group's coach driver, and I could be on my way to get to our hotel on the, in a seaside town in Wales. One short train ride from the airport into the city of Manchester, another long train ride to the town in Wales, and then a short taxi ride from the train station to the hotel. Just as I was getting out of the taxi, the coach pulls up behind us. We ended up getting there at the same time. And that brief wilderness time became a stage of my journey. And while negative emotions reigned at the time, I gained confidence in my ability to travel. When the tour director was making every tired soul on the coach stay awake, I got to take a nap on the train. And I provided a number of Britons the opportunity to help a lost soul. 
I learned again to trust that God is not only at the beginning and the end of the journey, but also in the wilderness of the middle. God is with you too and will carry you to the next stage.